everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Today's episode is brought to you by Disciple First. We're going to be hearing from Glenn Underhill, Craig Etheridge, and Chad Vandiver talking about evangelism. And if you're wondering about how to get started with evangelizing the lost, this episode is going to be super helpful for you to learn some practical steps towards being someone who is advancing the kingdom of God through evangelism. And you may be somebody like me who grew up in a legalistic faith tradition, and you might have some baggage or irrational fears around sharing the gospel that you need to process and work through. This episode is going to be helpful for you to begin to think about that kind of stuff. All right, let's jump in. This is Glenn, Craig, and Chad talking to us about evangelism. All right. Hey, guys. It's so great to see everybody. Uh, My name is Glenn Underhill. I'm the executive director for Disciple First. I've joined with a few of my my really uh, great friends. In fact, let me give you guys just a few seconds to introduce yourselves. Tell us a little bit about what you do, and, and then we'll dive into what we're going to talk about today. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Glenn. I'm Craig Etheridge. I'm the, the founder of Disciple First, also the uh, pastor of First Colleyville Church, which is in the DFW area right by the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. And um, yeah, super excited about our conversation today. Uh, We're going to be talking about evangelism and the importance of that and how to get traction in evangelism in your church. And I I guess I just want to say right off the top, man, we are in the trenches right now with you. I mean, these are things we're banging out. And so uh, we're happy to share things that we're learning and things that we're trying uh, as we look at Jesus' model. So Glenn, glad glad to be here with you. Yeah, great. Chad? Absolutely. I'm Chad Vandiver, and I'm the pastor of missions and vocation at First Colleyville. I'm also the co-founder with Craig of our Cross Creek Network, which is our church-based church planning network. Uh, it's planning churches here in North Texas, in the Northeastern United States, and all around the world. I mean, I'm so excited just to get to share some of the stories that we're seeing uh, people coming to Christ through this movement. I mean, I think it, it, this is a, a new day for missions and for church planning. And, you know, I, I like uh, when we think about multiplication, you know, that doesn't happen without evangelism. And so mm-hmm. I'm excited about to, to talk about this. How can we do that even better uh, in today's uh, mission field? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm super excited that you guys are on this call together and uh, just looking forward to what we can learn and really kind of our, our heart really behind this is to give some real practical things that you guys uh, that are listening to us can just begin implementing right there where you're at, where God's planted you to do ministry. Um, you know, one of the things that we're often asked is this idea in disciple making somehow um, evangelism somehow doesn't always translate into that word disciple making, which is just not the way that Jesus saw that. Right. So we, uh, I have a good friend that always has said, Hey, evangel or disciple making begins with evangelism and it ends with evangelism. And, uh, and so really just want to spend some time talking about how do we kind of raise up the temperature because as we're looking at stats across the board, unfortunately, the church really in North America is on the decline. Uh, and a lot of that, I think, is in due part because we're just not seeing people who are far from God, um, you know, taking those steps, those next steps towards Christ and, and helping to facilitate that as, as messengers, 
as uh, conveyors of the gospel, the advancement of the kingdom of God, uh, that that uh, is God's heart, you know, and we, we've heard it said that God, people matter to God and therefore yeah. it really should matter to us. So let's kind of, kind of unpack this a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about at Disciple First is this idea of going back to the life of Jesus and just looking at what he was doing and saying, okay, let's put those practices and uh, principles into place. And yeah. uh, really, I think as you look at Jesus's life, there's really kind of four that really kind of stand out. And I think are uh, really some things that we can do practically in our churches as we're, we're thinking about that. So the first one that we see really this uh, kind of really emerge out of the gospels and out of the life through the life of Jesus is this idea of being a friend of sinners. Uh, I, I know that Jesus uh, on several occasions uh, was called a friend of sinners. So Pastor Craig, when we talk about this idea of being a friend of sinners, what does that look like uh, and how does that translate into uh, what, what you guys are doing at First Colleyville to really help engage your, uh, your congregants in being friends of sinners? Yeah, boy, this, this is really where it starts, right, is this attitude toward people that are far from God. You know, unfortunately, in, in many Christian circles, people that are far from God are seen to be the enemy. You know, there are people you want to stay away from and people that are the problem with our society instead of in a great opportunity uh, to share the gospel. I mean, this is our mission. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's, I think that's one reason why we're seeing so many churches that are just, just failing to really be effective in reaching people with the gospel. Um, I, I, we could bore you with all kinds of stats and figures. I think we all agree. We've got a lot of room. Uh, for growth in this area. And it starts with just our disposition toward people that do not know Jesus. You know, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Matthew eleven nineteen. Jesus himself refers to that almost secondhand because he had heard it from others. Yeah. And of course, this was not a compliment. You know, this was, this was a jab because he's always hanging out with these publicans and sinners and tax collectors and this rough crowd. But Jesus was drawn to people that had, uh, you know, that were were outside the the realm. You know, they were outside the 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 realm of of the the spiritual community, and and he had a real compassion and love for people that were drifting and were hurting. Mm-hmm. And so, I think it's a good question to ask you, Pastor, if you're in a church, mm-hmm. is your church a friend? of people far from God? Are your people friends of people far from God? Do you have a attitude that wants to reach across and build those kind of friendships? And I think it really starts with, with the lead pastor. You know, do you have friends that, that do not know Jesus? Are you hanging out in places where people that don't know Jesus hang out? Uh, are you seeking to cultivate those kind of relationships? I think it really starts there with the pastor and with staff. You know, it's easy to say, well, the church isn't doing a good job. You know, when you get down to you, okay, how are you doing and building these friendships? Then it gets really uh, personal. But, but that's where we have to start, I think, right there. Are we, do we have friends that we call friends that would call us a friend that do not know Jesus? Absolutely. I think also it's just easy to stay in a little Christian bubble, you know, here, mm-hmm. especially in the South and the Bible Belt. Um, it's very easy for us to only talk to, to Christians every day. You know, our kids may go to a Christian private school. We go to church. We connect with, you know, we go buy our food at Chick-fil-A. You know, some call that Jesus chicken. 
And there's, you know, there's all these connections that we have, but we, we have to be really intentional about getting out of our bubble and connecting to the community. And so there's so many ways that we can do that. And, and Jesus modeled that extremely well in terms of just making a natural part of his daily rhythm. And I think if we did that, if we thought about, hey, where do we buy our gas? Where do we buy our groceries? Where do we connect with people in our natural rhythms of our, our daily lives? Um, it would just become a habit. And, you know, it's a habit that we need to form. It's um, as we're entering this new mission field, you know, post COVID, you know, there's definitely an opportunity there. Lots of people that are uh, seeking hope for the first time. Even. Sometimes they've realized that uh, the world isn't what they thought it was. And so there, there's lots of opportunities to do that in just our daily natural rhythm of, of uh, going through our day. So, yeah. You know, I, I would just add one one little thing here. In John chapter 4, right after Jesus has this encounter with the woman at the well, which is kind of one of those experiences, Chad, like you're talking about, just having these encounters that um, the woman leaves and he's having this debrief with his team. And he says, open your eyes and, and look, the field is ripe to harvest. Look around. And I, I think that's a great place to start. Okay, let's just stop and look around me. Who are the people that I'm naturally encountering in my daily life? Where are the places where I could encounter people and literally make a list and start to cultivate those relationships? Find the guys that you're encountering at the store or, or some hobbies that you go to, whatever the case may be, and intentionally build, trying to build a relationship there. Build a friendship first and then uh, look for opportunities to, to share the gospel. Yeah. So those are great steps. You know, obviously this idea of, of, you know, stop and look around, you know, create a list of people that are in your circle of influence who are far from God. Um, and, and, and then to, you know, begin to activate conversations, uh, uh, with turning, you know, casual conversations into what we like to call around here, gospel conversations, right? Kind of, uh, moving that needle from casual to spiritual and from spiritual to these gospel conversations. I'd like to even drill down just a little bit deeper because I know oftentimes in the past, um, I know, for instance, in our denomination, um, the Southern Baptist denomination, that we've utilized uh, other, you know, utilized strategies like teaching classroom-oriented types of evangelism, and that has not always amounted into a whole lot of success. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, obviously you know, classrooms is not where you make disciples or disciple makers, right? So right. on a real practical level, uh, I know we're, we're working at First Colleyville to really uh, do some training, uh, raise you know, this idea of how Jesus did it. You know, he took guys on fishing trips and showed them. So what would it look like in a, just a real practical sense? Uh, how, you know, would either one of you turn this idea of taking someone who's a friend of a center on, on just on a real practical level. And then how do you train, how are you training that out into to the people at first Colleyville? Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, give you, give you something. And then Chad, you jump on in here uh, because uh, this is, this is your blocking and tackling. I mean, Chad uh, trains uh, church planters and this is kind of, 101 how church planting works but uh I, I tell you first thing we do is we we include evangelism training as a part of our discipleship process so when we're discipling a person we make sure that we spend about seven weeks talking about 
how you build relationships with people, how do you move conversations, how do you present the gospel. So that's in those kind of small uh, three to four uh, people in a group, men with men, women with women training. And then out of that, we try to create uh, ways for them to practice, right? And just to get used to that. So one, I'll give you a couple ideas. One way we do that is that uh, we have a ministry that's a homeless ministry we partner with. So I'll take my guys and we'll go down to the homeless ministry and we will serve dinner or supper with, with that team. And then as they're eating, we just split up and we sit down and we have conversations and we try to see how far we can go in these conversations to talk about spiritual things and to, and to share the gospel. It's a great way to minister to people and in a relational kind of way to, to practice having these kind of conversations. And they get to hear me do it and then they get to try it. It, it works really, really well. Another thing we're doing is that when we send teams out to do service projects in the community, uh, we may be repainting somebody's house or we may be picking up trash in some neighborhood. We have a couple of people that have, we've been training in, in our discipleship process to share the gospel. They go out and their whole purpose of that project is not to do the work of the project, but simply to try to engage neighbors and people that are coming around and observing in spiritual conversations. And again, it's a great place to model the spiritual conversations, get them practice and engaging and moving those conversations along. Uh, so those are two really practical things that we've done that, that are not awkward. They're not, they're not knocking on somebody's door that you don't know. You know, there, there, there are times when people would naturally want to talk to you and we find those to be very fruitful in, uh, and we're actually going to be doing more and more and more of those as just opportunities. And I guess the third one, which kind of segues over to Chad is that is mission trips. You know, when we go on a mission trip, uh, boy, they're just immersed with the opportunities to share the gospel. And so they may they may do a lot of sharing the gospel personally on a mission trip. Well, that translates back to how they share uh, right here where they live. Absolutely. And that's the goal, right, is to create this rhythm of back and forth. So when they go on mission trips, you know, there's 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 a boldness, I think, that happens there because they don't live there. They're there now. We have a church plant there, and that's the beauty of of having a church planning network because you have a church planner with a team that's on mission to you disciple those people that become believers from the okay. mission team. But then that mission team coming back, man, that, you know, being bold here at home and then on trips. And I, I love that. And because we have the growth series, you know, we're using that in all of our church plants. And I love the fact that the first three weeks of book one really are helping people understand what is their relationship you know, to Jesus, you know, are they a believer or not? I've seen people become believers in those first three weeks. <laughs> but, yeah. And that, that's awesome because for a church plant and they are, they're gathering people that maybe aren't believers yet or are, are wanting to explore what it means to be a believer. And then as they become believers, they're gathering them and creating momentum. Um, I'm really excited. You know, our first uh, church plant in New York is in Harlem and uh, they're about to, to gather a group of men in front of Columbia University there to have a grow group. And, you know, there wasn't one in front of Columbia, but a mechanic at Columbia University became a believer. And so he is hungry. He's going to be our missionary there on campus. 
And so that's the way I think God often works is as you're going into a community, you find those points, or those places in a city where people naturally gather, you know, where the university campuses or the coffee shops or the parks or the, all the places where people are naturally gathering and you join in on what they're doing. You know, I, I'll never forget my wife and uh, our little son were in a park in Madrid when we were missionaries there. And every day I'd come home and they would be there in the park talking to the other mothers there. And so sure enough, my wife had tons of friends. We also had little kids who were all playing together. All the mothers watched each other's kids and kind of parented each other's kids. And then she started sharing her faith with them. And so, you know, it's a, just a beautiful, natural time uh, to, to do that. The same thing, you know, as, as these guys are, are connecting in, in Harlem, you know, they've discovered that basketball is a great tool to have a gospel conversation. And I, I think oftentimes we forget that sports is a great way for people to see who we are as believers, right? Our character shines in, in the sport, you know, Christ comes out and, and not fouling people or not getting upset and, and just, you know, being a good sport. And so they've discovered that's a great opportunity to do that. So they are sharing their faith actively just through basketball. But I, I think there's a lot of things that we could explore and looking at that we do anyway, or that we love to do, that we, if we just thought about how to strategically engage the people around where we live in doing that, it would become very natural. And, and I love what you say, you know, it's not awkward or weird, it's just a part of our daily rhythm. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center an auditorium for our main events and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. So really what I hear you guys really kind of saying is at the end of the day, we've got to provide some opportunities for people to, to do it together, uh, to gather some of that experience. But then as their heart is being turned towards people who are far from God, then they have the opportunity to start transitioning some of those relationships that they have in their circle of influence to take some of the things that they're working on maybe as a team or with you guys that they've seen modeled. Now they can translate it in real time with the people that, that they're kind of doing life with and, and really uh, have a, a, a certain set of, of, of influence with, which I, I think really is what, you know, they watched Jesus do uh, over and over and over and over and over. And then it, it ultimately the book of Acts shows, you know, how, some of that really began to play itself out. So again, the first, that first really principle, uh, you know, in evangelism for Jesus was being a friend of sinners. The second right. thing we see really out of his life, uh, guys, is this idea of looking for those who are in crisis or in crisis. So let, let's kind of unpack a little bit of that. What do we mean when we say looking for people who are in crisis? Craig? 
Yeah, you know, you go back to Matthew 9, 36, and Jesus, it said he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were uh, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And, you know, I remember one time I was just studying the life of Jesus and it, it, it hit me that he went from one person to the next person, the next person, the next person. It was like in this stretch of like six different encounters and every single one of them was a person in crisis. One was a leper, one had, had a sickness, one uh, had a, a child who was about to die, all different kinds of crises, but, but they were all drawn to Jesus because of their crisis. And as I was pondering that, it, it really, God began to show me that, you know, this is one of the ways that God draws people to him is that he allows crisis to come into our life to wake us up to our need. You know, many people, especially in America, you know, they don't feel like they need God that much. They've, they've got a good job and insurance and, you know, they've got everything working their way. Uh, but when they hit a crisis, you know, when their child is uh, struggling with a drug addiction or their marriage is in the tank or they lost their job or they got a bad report from the doctor or any of those things, then all of a sudden they realize that they're not as in control of their life as they, as they think they are. And so they're looking for spiritual help. And I can say, you know, most of the people that I've got over the last five years that I've got to lead to the Lord have been people that are in some way in a crisis. And there are different kinds of crises, right? They're crises of circumstance, where much like what I just described, things are happening to them. Uh, there's a crisis of belief, like I don't really know what I believe anymore, uh, and I'm struggling with with my faith. Um, there's a, there's a crisis of mortality. Maybe somebody they know has died, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I, I I'm not going to live forever." And how do I face death? There are lots of different kinds of crisis. Crisis of identity. You know, who am I really, and why am I here? You know, these are all really important things. So I, I've, I've learned that sometimes I'll try to share the gospel with somebody that's not in crisis and it's just, they're just not receptive. But I share a gospel with somebody that is in crisis and they are open. And uh, so I've tried to just put on my uh, spiritual glasses a little bit and say, Lord, open my eyes to the people around me that are in crisis. Draw them to me or help me see who they are so I can go to them and just love on them and encourage them. And in that encouragement, I can share uh, the hope that I have in Christ. Yeah, it sounds to me like uh, what you're really trying to communicate is this idea of, man, um, we're we're asking God for some perception, right? When you talk about opening our eyes to the harvest, that you know, the, the right. the, like what we've talked a lot about, this principle of receptivity, you know, that mm-hmm. people right. tend to be more receptive to spiritual uh, guidance, conversations, spiritual things when there is a crisis in their life. And so, yep. yeah, that's great. Yep. Yeah, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say also, you know, there's so many crises happening around the world. And so connecting mm-hmm. to those people groups from those countries mm-hmm. where you are. Um, you know, I'll never, I first encountered this, on March 11, 2004, when the bomb went off in Madrid, and God led me to the, the place where the bombs were built and to engage the people, a couple hundred men there who were scared to death, fully anticipating the Spanish military to, to converge on that community, and they eventually did. But um, at that moment, man, fear had, had taken over. Those people were in crisis. They were looking for hope. And so the opportunity to have gospel conversations with people who were very far from God, right? They were all 
practicing Islam was became very uh, easy because you know they were searching for something else. They said, you know, that that's not what I believe. I don't believe in 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 that kind of terrorist activity. I want to find something else. And so there's huge opportunities. So the same thing is true here, especially post COVID or as the right. world crisis are happening. You can find those people groups in your community and engage them and often love on them. And I, I love to even even just in a basic you know, uh, situation. There's a, a church planner in New York who provides food for for church planners in, in an area and other people who are in need because they've lost their job or they don't have anybody, you know, uh, coming to their church or they they have issues uh, that they're dealing with there. And so he, man, he comes, he shows up, helps them, blesses them, and um, other uh, leaders, other evangelical leaders are learning from him you know, how to engage your community. And so I think when we seize the day like that, when we seize in a moment of opportunity, we engage the people uh, like never before. You know, Glenn, I'd like to just add one thing here. And, um, you know, some people might hear that and say, oh, well, you're just taking advantage of people in their weakest moment, right? Right, right. And that that is not what what we're saying. Jesus had tremendous compassion for people that were hurting. And so if we have the compassion of Jesus, we have the same attitude in us that's in Jesus, then we're going to be drawn to people that are hurting to help them. And the greatest help we can give is to introduce them to the God who loves them and cares for them and will provide for them. So it's not taking advantage of people's crises um, to, you know, manipulate them in some way. It's really to have a heart of compassion for people that are hurting. And you, you may, you know, pastor watching this, you may, you get wind of somebody in in your kid's school that, boy, they're, they have a tragedy that happened to them or something else happened to them. And, and as you, uh, reach out to them in true compassion, God will open up those doors. I think about an example just recently, this just happened yesterday. Um, there was a lady that was in crisis. Her adult daughter had, had, uh, overdosed on drugs and died. And so this woman was in crisis. Well, a friend of hers that worked with her began to love on her and minister to her and try to help her find a place to have the funeral. Hmm. Well, she said, you can do it at our church. So she called our church and said, Hey, we need to help this lady. Sure enough. Uh, we surrounded her and had the uh, funeral for her daughter, her husband came with her and so on. Well, uh, a couple of Sundays ago, they just showed up at our church. Obviously, we had ministered to them and cared for them. So they started coming. Well, yesterday at the end of the service, when we present the gospel, that husband raised his hand and prayed to receive Christ. And so that lady that first was a contact emails me and says, oh, my gosh, I'm in tears. I can't believe it. You know that he's come to faith in Jesus. Well, how did all this start? It started with a woman that saw somebody in crisis and began to move toward them with compassion and just to love on them. And there's something really compelling about someone who loves you and will walk with you in your darkest moments. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good. And I, I, um, you know, I think we can all remember times and circumstances. I, you know, I think of a guy several years ago that kind of was coaching my son and he lost his job and, uh, and, um, and, and just through some conversations over time, uh, probably about six months of, of those conversations, he flat out told me straight up, Hey, look, I found out that you're a pastor. You know, Craig, you remember this, the guy was just like, Hey, don't pass your religion on to me. Yeah. And he 
ends up having this crisis. And I happened to walk in through a divine appointment, walk into the same restaurant that he was eating at. And he's uh, virtually in tears. I just walk up, say, hey, what's going on? He spills his heart out. And over the course of the next six months, uh, just meeting with him regularly to just encourage him. And, and, you know, he puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And today is, you know, making an impact uh, as a multiplier in other people's lives and got to baptize him. And then eventually his wife came to faith in Christ and then his kids. And, you know, several years ago, got to baptize his entire family uh, on Easter Sunday. I mean, so what a, it, it's these moments that crisis and I, and I, and, and their spirit directed in the sense that, you know, uh, crisis is a, is an opportunity. Yes. And, and I think sometimes we, we, we don't see it that way. And so what I really hear you guys saying is let's seize the opportunity in a, in a, in a God appointed way to say, let me point you to, to a God that genuinely cares for your heart as and I'm becoming the, the hands and the feet of Jesus in the midst of this crisis. And the truth is, I mean, I think of crisis, I'm like, man, our world is in total crisis and chaos. No doubt. The spiritual opportunities are abounding. So again, great opportunity for, for looking for crisis. The third one we see in Jesus's life. So he was a friend of sinners. He, uh, you know, this idea of looking for those in crisis, we see that in his life. And, and really, I think a third one is his attractiveness of, of, of hospitality. He was such a hospitable person. Uh, and I think this principle of this, just this idea of hospitality is really very real. Chad, any thoughts on, on how this plays out in just some practical ways? Yeah, I think loving on people is really important, right? People know right now whether or not you're being real or not, you know, whether or not being genuine. I, I love the fact that, you know, we have the opportunity now to welcome people to our homes um, and to, to re- truly love on them. Um, you know, during the uh, lockdown last year, uh, you know, you would think at a time where all the, everybody's in their house, in our neighborhood, neighbors would, would not be talking to each other. But man, we grow, grew closer. Uh, we would put the uh, Sunday service on our laptop outside on our patio and our neighbors would hear Pastor Craig preaching in the worship, I think they would open up questions and they would, they'd have questions with us. Well, man, that's not, not what I thought church was. And so anyway, it's great. Like, like to discover, Hey, this is really what Jesus intended, right? For us as believers to be a part of this is what being a part of a body of Christ looks like. And so uh, it just allowed us to have gospel conversations like never before. And something first Coggle did that, that's so brilliant is encouraging people to go out and prayer walk in their community. And so as we're walking, you know, we have opportunities to do this. We're, we're uh, walking around the neighborhood. And, and so, um, man, I just think practically now, uh, there, there are so many opportunities for us to, to become friends with our neighbors. And it really starts there. Um, I always say my wife is a better missionary than I am. She's great at that. She's great at connecting and loving on people. She has the gift of hospitality. She's phenomenal at it. So she makes, you know, great scones and and all all these things and we'll give them to our neighbors and just love on them so man they want to come and hang out with us on our patio we extended our patio right just so happened right before COVID, and so it just opened up more opportunity to engage people and so we wanted to be able to seat about 30 people on our patio and so um it was god's timing of of being able to do that and then be able to welcome people uh, in, in our home. And so I think that's important. I think also thinking about engaging the city, what are the points and what are the places in the city that you can go out to and, and do that? Uh, in you know, what are the, the schools that you're, where your kids go or their teachers or, 
you know, football games, soccer games, all, all kinds of opportunities in the city. And then thinking, um, when you think about an Acts 1-8 strategy, right, of Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the world, how do you take that, you know, to another place in the U.S. and then, you know, to the <clears throat> world and, and apply that and, and really model that and um, i think it's important to be intentional you know um, different than like a europe uh or somewhere else or new york where you can just walk up and have conversations we actually drive everywhere and so you know that changes the strategy that changes the dynamic so being intentional about going to those places where people are actually gathering as well yeah you know i would just uh, like to add when you look at jesus life uh, you see this in luke 5 when he Matthew comes to faith in Jesus and then then they have a party, right? And they gather together in someone's home and they he invites his lost friends and you have Jesus and his disciples kind of mixing and mingling with this rough group of guys. And, and uh, you know, it was going great until the Pharisees showed up, right? But, but, you know, Jesus understood how to leverage hospitality in your home. When, he, when uh, Zacchaeus, remember when he comes to faith in Jesus, he says, I'm coming to your house. So Jesus understood the importance of going to someone's home or having someone, you know, meeting in a home that that was really, really important. And I think even though our culture has changed so much from then, that is still the case. When Think about it. When you have someone in your house, that's a whole different level than meeting them for breakfast or coffee or, or even dinner. You invite them into your life. And uh, people are hungry for that. People don't really experience that very much. And I think you see this in the early church. You see them meeting at the temple courts, but also house to house. And it said the Lord added to their number as people were coming. So I think, you know, any ways that you can leverage hospitality is a wonderful thing. I, Liz and I um, were reaching out to a couple in our uh in, in our school system, this guy's a coach and he, uh, he's had a lot of crisis, uh, in his life. And we've been there, you know, when he buried his dad and we've been there when he's gone through some physical problems. And, um, we said, Hey, why don't you guys come over to the house and we'll cook for you. And it was so funny to watch their <laughs> reaction. You know, at first it was like, Oh, we're going to go to the pastor's house you know i mean i thought they probably thought there were just bibles everywhere you know and i don't know what they thought but but when they came we invite them in they sat down we start talking about their family and their kids and liz is cooking in the kitchen and we start and you could just watch their whole body language just kind of relax as you know we were just talking about life and and at the end of it we just said hey we want you guys to know we we love you guys. We're praying for you. We're here for you. And, um, man, they continue to talk about that, you know, days after because of that simple act of hospitality. And I think that uh, if we can reclaim that and even use that more, then that's more in line with New Testament evangelism than, than maybe, uh, you know, just, just uh, preaching to strangers, you know. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I haven't even thought about it um, until recently. So our church planner in New York, before he was a believer, was a, a party promoter. Party promoters make great church planners. <laughs> so, you know, he's inviting people to church now instead of to the party. So anyway, it's a cool, you know, because the church and all the gatherings are doing and stuff, our parties are fun. They're showing the man following Jesus is a lot of fun. And, and so I, I, it's cool to see that happen uh, through his ministry there in New York. Also, Chad, don't forget, in La Chapelle, uh, 
they reclaimed happy hour, remember? <laughs> they did, man. It was awesome, you know, because in that it really in Quebec, you know, no one could do small groups because, you know, everybody was hesitant about going to somebody's house. That's how cults attract cult members there. And so, you know, everybody's like, no, I don't want to go to the house. But yeah, La Chapelle reclaimed happy hour uh, five to seven or sink a set in French and call their small groups happy hour. And that's where they plant churches because those, that happy hour grows, man. And they, yeah, they redeemed happy hour with the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and I think that this is kind of real, you know, so you're like, hey, I can, you know, Jesus was a friend of sinners, so. I, I need to, is there anybody who would call me who's far from God that would call me a friend, not an acquaintance, but a friend, right? Then I'm, as I'm cultivating friendships and establishing those relationships, not out of, out of uh, a checked box or a project, um, God begins to present some of those that might be in crisis mm-hmm. uh, or, Hey, there's an opportunity to be hospitable. I, I remember our neighbors that we were working really hard, to just felt really compelled when we knew they were far from God. We were looking for ways to, to, uh, to, to serve and to be hospitable to them. And I would go home purposely early on certain days to bring up their trash cans for them and do other things. And, you know, one day he's like, dude, why do you always do this? And I'm like, Oh, cause you know, I just, it's fun to do. And I love to kind of beat you home and see if I can, you know, I, I, I didn't, you know, say, Hey, let me sit you down. And, and, and it just kind of came naturally. had <laughs> some fun. He laughed at me. But then over the course of time, then we invited them into our home. We had them over for barbecues and swimming in our backyard. And, and then, uh, you know, then we, uh, then they had a crisis. Uh, his mom died. And then from there we were, you know, able to just talk about how um, there's hope uh, even when there is loss. Um, but that hope is found in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. And we watched he and his wife put their trust and faith in Christ over time. And, and uh, man, what a, I mean, it's so, you know, it's just a, very simple but intentional and relational ways of really um, beginning to help mobilize our people like Jesus himself was doing, and he was mobilizing his team as well. But there's one other really important one, and I, and I think this kind of a bookend, it, it's the front end and the back end, right? Uh, and it's the last one on prayer, it just the importance yeah. of prayer uh, in, in, in helping people really do evangelism Jesus style. Um, so let's let's unpack that a little bit. When we say prayer, what do we what do we mean by that? Well, uh, you know, again, back to Jesus as the model. Jesus told his disciples, "Pray the Lord the harvest will bring forth laborers into his harvest field." And um, I think that he's modeling there for us that we need to be praying for people that are far from God and praying for these spiritual opportunities. And so, you know, it really begins, as you said, begins and ends in prayer. As you identify personally, pastor, leader, you identify three or four or five people that you're praying for, that you're praying for them on a regular basis. And then you're looking for opportunities to have a hospitality. You're looking for opportunities to love on them. Then you're there in the moments when the crisis happens and praying for God to give you the words to speak as you share the gospel with them. I think that prayer is powerful. You know, James says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so uh, it, it is wholly the responsibility of the, of the spirit to write, to redeem and regenerate a person. I can't save anybody. I can't turn a heart. Only God can do that. I can be there. I can be used by God, but only God can 
can enlighten a mind and draw a soul and regenerate a person's life. And so we are in desperate need of the spirit of God to move. And so I think praying for the lost is a good indicator as to how uh, important this lost person is. You know, if I, if I've got someone close to me and they're lost, I mean, I'm praying, 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 right? Because they are on my heart. And if I'm not praying for someone, then that may be an indication that the loss is not on my heart as it should be or as they should be. And so I think setting regular times to pray, having a list of people to pray for, but setting regular times to pray. For example, I remember years ago, I used to live in Oklahoma City. And if you know anything about Oklahoma, it's Tornado Alley. Mm -hmm. And so every Saturday at noon, I think it was at noon, the 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 tornado sirens would go off every Saturday. It was just a, a normal rhythm because they were making sure they worked so that when uh, the time came, they would be ready. And so I remember making that my mental trigger that every time I heard the alarms go, the sirens go off, I would pray for someone that was far from God. You know, I, I set alarms on my phone and on my watch so that when it goes off at 316, you know, that sounds a little cheesy, but at 316, you know, every day I'm reminded to pray for people. And I, I think that God honors that and um, saturating this with prayer is, is incredibly important. Yeah, um, it, it, it really is. I mean, right behind me is the our La Chapelle mural here with the La Chapelle logo and you know, La Chapelle is a church plant in Montreal that uh, really ignited a church planting movement uh, in April of 2013 when they launched. And, you know, something that, that we really learned there is that, you know, for generations, Christians had prayed for a movement like that to happen, but nothing had happened. And then until April of 2013, it just exploded. And so we were standing on the shoulders of these prayer warriors who for generations had been praying for uh, a church planting movement like that to ignite to start and and so really you know no, no nothing happens transformation doesn't happen without prayer um, that, that faithful prayer even when we don't see movement continuing to pray, to pray. Um, I think also is as we think about people you know that when we have a a an intentional prayer strategy for the people's in our, the people in our lives it creates a posture uh, in, in the way we approach them in the way we uh, engage our mission field uh, that uh, of, of humility and of, of engaging people in an intentional way. And so I think that, that having that, that prayer strategy as well really helps us think, okay, uh, where's God at work here in, in my city and how can I join them? And then God directs us, God leads us to those places where he's already at work. Yeah. Well, I, you know, guys, I, you know, this prayer, you know, when you, again, as you were even saying, Pastor Craig, you know, this idea that, you know, we, you see Jesus, you know, calling his guys to pray for to the Lord of the harvest to, to really um, send out workers. And so it, it does, it starts with prayer. It, it, it kind of works itself all the way through. And, and um, you know, just, uh, you know, I, I tell guys that I'm working with and investing my life into to be praying that God, if, because a lot of times people say, well, I, I don't have anybody in my life that's far from God. And, 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 and so, and rather than beating them over the head, I just, encourage him to start praying that God would put people in their path who are far from him. And, um, and it's, it's, I think that's a prayer that honors the Lord and he will answer because it's his heart, right? It's at his heart because people are at his heart. And, uh, and so I, I, so when, as we begin to cultivate that already, he begins to, 
to really open our, our eyes to the, to the mm-hmm. harvest. And then we can begin to, to live that out. And then, you know, just keep, keep on working that uh, prayer all the way through. And even at that, as they put their faith and trust and, and, and cross the line, we were at thanking the Lord for the spirit of God that drew them to himself mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that they, we can rejoice that uh, someone has crossed over from death into life. I mean, what a, what a powerful thing. Well, you know, guys, I am just so grateful for your leadership and for what you're doing. And I hope that, uh, that those that were on the talk today could really be encouraged about these four, I, I think are very, uh, very simple, but very real practical things that we need to do. And so let me just hit those really good being a friend of sinners, uh, looking for those who are in, in times of crisis the, the, the attractiveness of hospitality and, and really this idea of prayer. And again, not, not out of our own strategy, but really looking at the life of Jesus, what were his simple, basic evangelistic strategies that he was training and doing himself. Uh, and then I think that we can begin to do uh, in, our own, in our own ministry settings as well. Well, you know, Glenn, I, w- I might just add, if you're a pastor watching and you're like, how can I up the evangelism temperature in our church? Mm-hmm. I would encourage you to take these four things as simple as they are and say, okay, what could we do to really start praying for the lost? What mm-hmm. could we do to help our people identify three to four people that are far from God and start to pray for them by name and start to engage them in hospitality? What can we do to help our people gather in their homes? What can we do, you know, to, um, to help them know how to respond in crisis or who are the people in your community that are already in crisis that you can respond to? I think all those are good questions. And then with these in mind, you can begin to craft some ideas or initiatives or events that have all these pieces in play that will make your evangelism efforts uh, more effective. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I love about Jesus is that it's so driven by relationship. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then we can just begin to take the context of what we're doing and take some simple steps towards that. You know, one of the things that uh, just before I close again, and just want to remind you that uh, Disciple First is an organization that exists to really come alongside leaders, ministry leaders, to help them live as a disciple maker, to really lead a disciple making ministry, and then to leverage their influence to ignite movements of multiplying disciples. So however we might could come alongside and to really help you, uh, again, we're just real life guys, ordinary guys who are uh, banging it out in our local church setting, but also uh, have uh, God's been using us to come alongside um, other pastors and ministry leaders uh, to help equip them uh, in those same kinds of areas. So however we can help you do that, uh, we can, you can go to our website. It's just www.disciplefirst.com. Again, that's disciplefirst.com. Well, guys, Chad, Craig, thank you for taking some time. And uh, I know we're going to be having some more conversations, you know, over the next couple of weeks uh, in areas related to this as well. So I'm looking forward to spending a little bit more time talking more about this idea of, of uh, being and creating a disciple-making churches, making and multiplying disciples like Jesus.
Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. And I hope that it helped you out and gave you some practical steps to take in evangelizing the lost and spreading the gospel. Hey, just want to remind you again that coming up November 4th and 5th of this year, 2021, we're going to be hosting another National Disciple Making Forum in Nashville, Tennessee at Brentwood Baptist Church. So if you're interested in that, make sure you go to discipleship.org to buy your tickets right now before they are sold out. All right, y'all have a great day and I'll see you on the next episode.